0: Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to those of you who are in-house, and welcome, of course, those of you joining us uh, from home online. Hey, before we dive in, I I just want to make a very quick announcement. Uh, At the end of my message today, uh, we are going to be commissioning two cross-pointers who are cross-cultural workers. Uh, Because the nature of their work needs to be kept confidential, uh, we are actually not going to be putting this online. So for those of you online, thank you for your understanding uh, in advance. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to show a brief video of what they're doing, invite them up here. We're going to pray for them and commission them uh, for something that God is going to be doing in them and through them in, the, in, in a very short period of time, and that's all I can say. So for those of you who are here, please join with us. Stay here right after the message. We're going to pray for them and commission them uh, before we're done. Okay. Well, hey, thank, thank you, Shem, for sharing uh, your story today. Can we give him a hand, guys? That was fantastic. Um, And and I will say more than ever, more than anything, thank you, Jesus, because you are mighty to save. How many of you know that this morning? How how many of you know and how many of you believe and can say for yourself that our God is mighty to save? See, today as we walk through Romans 10, uh, we're going to be talking about receiving salvation. We're going to talk about how we could help other people to receive salvation. And, and you probably noticed as we go through the text that the word saved kind of pops up now and again as we go through Romans 10. Uh, Paul even says in, in, in the very beginning of chapter 10, he says, Listen, I, My heart's longing is for my own people that they would be saved. And, and, and really what Romans 10 is, is about, and, and you find this theme through Romans 9 through 11, is that what it's about is Paul's trying to explain a problem. He's trying to explain why is it that so many Gentiles in his day are running towards Jesus for salvation, but his own people are reluctant to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. How is it that the Gentiles received salvation, but Israel hadn't? And, and I think we can learn a lot from this passage today as we go through it about how we can help others or else how we can hinder others from receiving salvation themselves. And so that's where we're going to be going today. But before we do that, I, I think we need to define our terms. I think we need to talk about salvation itself. When we hear the word salvation, I mean, what is it that you think about? What is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? I, I think a common misunderstanding when we think about salvation is it means just getting into heaven. In other words, just say a simple prayer, and Jesus will be your forever friend. You were saved, fire insurance obtained, you're good for life. You can go on living your life all by yourself, and you'll catch Jesus on the other side, right? Because you said this simple prayer. You know where you're going. Sadly, this isn't what the Bible talks about when it talks about salvation. The Bible's understanding of salvation is much bigger than this, much greater in scope, much grander in appeal. It includes not only your past, but it also includes your present life and it includes your future life. It's so much more than just an eternal fire insurance policy. The Bible says that Jesus saves us. He saves us from the penalty of sin, He saves us from the power of sin. And He ultimately will save us from the presence of sin. So let me break that down for you. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. In other words, Jesus justifies us. He brings us into right standing with God. He wipes the slate clean so that we can begin again. But Jesus is also saving us from the power of sin because sin still has a hold in our world and in our lives. So He comes into our lives through the Holy Spirit and He gives us the freedom and the power to be able to overcome sin. But not only that, Jesus ultimately will save us from the presence of sin. He will give us a new resurrected body. He will invite us into the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth, this new reality where sin no longer has a reign over us. It is gone from us as far as the east is from the west. Our God is mighty to save, but salvation is so much more than an eternal fire insurance policy. And God invites everyone on this dear planet, to freely receive this salvation. And God has decided to use us, you and me, to tell the world about who he is and and what he has done. Our God is mighty to save. Our God wants to save the whole world. And we have a part to play, every single one of us, in God's redemptive mission to save the world. Now, as I read today, and as we go through the text, chapter 10, we'll discover that we can help or hinder others from receiving this salvation. And so as we walk through it, the way I'm going to frame it is I want to talk about three barriers, three barriers that we can erect, that we can create to keep people from salvation. Here's the first one. The first barrier is when we are working for salvation. Paul says that this happens when we stop believing God for salvation, but we start working for God for salvation. Listen, we can't work for our salvation any more than a pole jumper can jump to the moon. We can't work for our salvation any more than a plumber can fix Niagara Falls with a piece of duct tape. It's just not possible. And Paul explains, listen, the reason why the Gentiles are are running towards the Lord and why they've received the right standing before God, is because they've decided to do it through faith in Christ. But Israel, he says, my own countrymen who I love and I long for to receive this, Israel have missed God's righteousness because they pursued it through the law. In other words, he says, it's based on their works. He says, but their works could never be enough because nobody, absolutely nobody can keep the law perfectly. I mean, Paul's been making this point all throughout Romans. If you've been tracking with this... Through this series, this should be familiar territory for you. Uh, Paul has been saying uh, this about the law. And by the law, he he means the the Torah, the commandments, first five books of the Bible, right? The Pentateuch, as some would call it. Paul said that the law is good. But the law was given to Israel as part of God's overall plan. And its purpose, ultimately, was to expose their failures so that they would actually have to run towards Jesus. The law could not count sin. Uh, Sorry, the law could only count sin, but the law could not counter sin. That's the point Paul's making. So pursuing righteousness through the law, Paul's saying, by doing this, it's, it's a futile mission. It cannot be done through good works, but only through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. So through the death of Jesus on the cross, he paid the sin debt that was owed to God by each and every one of us. He died in our place so that we wouldn't have to. But Paul says, this is what kind of keeps Israel tripping up. They couldn't get their, their, their heads around this idea of a crucified Messiah. This is what Paul means when he says that Israel has stumbled over the stumbling stone in verse 32. See, what did Israel want? Israel wanted a rescuer, somebody who's going to come in and lead them off towards victory. They didn't want a a crucified king on a cross. But not only that, the other challenge that Israel faced um, is is they, they couldn't get their heads around this idea of obtaining right standing by not obeying the law or by obtaining the law. They couldn't get around this idea that Christ was ultimately the end of the law, that he was offering righteousness to everyone who believes. Because you've got to think about this. Like for so many centuries, for so many years, their understanding of how they ultimately pursued righteousness by was keeping the law. But now Jesus has shown up on the scenes and he's saying that he is the end of the law. For them, this was a huge stumbling block. This was a stumbling stone. Now here's the thing. We're actually not that different from Israel. I think some of us are, are still tripping over that same stone even today. You know, maybe you're here today and you you maybe started your relationship with Jesus through faith, right? You made that faith declaration, but now you're trying to continue your relationship with Jesus in the opposite way, through works. So so you live in you f- live in fear that you're, you're gonna blow it, or somehow you're gonna disappoint God. And if you disappoint God, you know, he's gonna kinda set you aside, kick you to the curb. Or, or maybe you have disappointed God in a very real way, and you know it, and you feel shame, and you're thinking to yourself, well, somehow I have to earn my way back into God's good graces. But friends, that's not how it works, because here's the thing. If grace has to be earned, it wouldn't be good. The Christian life begins with faith, the Christian life continues with faith, and the Christian life ends with faith. It is faith, as Paul would say in Romans 1, 16 to 17, from beginning to end. It is a journey of faith. And if you lose sight of this, Paul says, well, hey, you're just tripling, tripping over the stumbling stone, just like Israel. Now, to be clear, faith, you know, here's the question. What is faith, right? Faith is more than just kind of intellectual assent, right? It's more than kind of an agreement to an idea or a nod to God. Paul says faith is about putting your complete trust in Christ. Faith is about surrender. Paul says it in the text. He says that faith is in your heart and it's in your mouth. In other words, faith works from the inside and it finds its way out. It's something that you believe to your death, but it's something that you're willing to tell the whole world about it, to confess. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will what? you will be saved. And, and what you believe is important. It's not only that you believe, but it's actually what you believe. It's in the text. So you're not just believing that Jesus is your BFF or he's your homeboy or he's your genie in a bottle, right? Or he's, he's, he's maybe your life preserver who's rescuing you. Paul says we confess and we believe that Jesus is the risen Lord over all. Now, just think about that for a moment. The risen Lord of all. If this is true, if you believe this, then the implications of this truth are far-reaching. It means that you're believing that nobody, nothing, nada, is of greater importance in your life. It means that you're willing to bow your heart, you're willing to bend your knee, and say to the Lord of the universe, Command me. The implications of this truth are far reaching. And Paul says, This faith, this faith in Jesus as Lord, the risen, resurrected Lord, this faith will save you. It will set you free from your past, it will give you the power to change your life now, and it will prepare you for a great and future hope. Our God is mighty to save. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you aren't living by faith, then you're going to have a really difficult time helping other people to live by faith. As they say on the airplanes, put on your own oxygen mask first. You've heard that, right? Because while you're helping the buddy beside you, you both run out of oxygen and you pass out. That's not a good thing, right? So put on your own oxygen mask first so that you can turn help the person who's beside you. It's hard to invite people into something that you have not received yourself or that you're not willing to do for yourself it's hard to guide those who are blind if you yourself are still tripping over the same stumbling stone it really is so this morning have you put your faith in christ have you surrendered your life to him so that you might be a conduit of god's grace to other people around you but here's the second barrier the second barrier is limiting his salvation you know, you know, Paul makes it really clear in the text that, that this salvation, it's for everyone. He says, everyone who believes in him will what? Will not be put into shame. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the good news is that now, through Christ Jesus, God's grace, his salvation has expanded beyond Israel to include non-Jews, to include Gentiles. So what does this mean? This means that every nation, every tongue, every tribe, is invited to come and be part of God's royal family. And you'll notice what Paul says in the text. He says, there is no distinction between them. There is no distinction. This means that, that the, the ground is ultimately, it's level at the foot of the cross. So it doesn't matter how much melanin you have in your skin. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your savings. There's no distinction between genders. There's, there's no distinction between offenders. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you have done, this salvation, he says, is for you. It's for you. Now, if God makes this distinction, he says there's no distinction. If God makes no distinction between people, then how can we? You know, it's very human, very human for us to build barriers rather than bridges. It's, it's in our self kind of protective instinct. We like to play it safe. We like to surround ourselves with people who are like us, shiny, happy, pretty people, Sometimes we can even be downright mean about it. Sometimes we can be self-satisfied or self-righteous, looking down our noses at others. Meanwhile, we ourselves are still tripping over that same stumbling stone. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus was always breaking barriers and busting down walls so that everybody had the opportunity to call on his name. You maybe know the stories. He touched unclean lepers when that was a no-no. He hung out with tax collectors when he shouldn't have he lingered at the well with a Samaritan woman. Jesus was always meeting people at the margins with those who were lost or forgotten or who were outcast. This was in the very nature of who Jesus was. And here in the text, Paul says, you know, there is no distinction with God. So let me just be straight up with you this morning, and I hope you'll appreciate this. This means that for CrossPoint, there was no place for racism, for sexism, for ageism, or any form of favoritism because the ground is level at the foot of the cross and everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Now, I've discovered that people who are like me tend to have a gravitational pull on my life. My first instinct, if I, if I have free time, is to surround myself with people I like and people who are like me. Right? I like hanging out with people I like. I like people who like me. I'm kind of a big deal, at least I think. So, so, so people who share my beliefs, my values, my political views, my experiences. You know, in order to break free from this gravitational pull, I know. I have to be intentional. I have to be thoughtful. I actually have to radically reorient my life to include people who are not like me. You know what? This is why we say at the end of every gathering, Strike up a conversation with somebody who doesn't look like you. You know, we do that on purpose. We're nudging you towards this. We're trying to get you to break orbit, to step out of your safe spaces, and to make room in your lives for other people because this is what Jesus does. So let me talk for a moment about our Sunday gatherings, shall I? Have you ever noticed that how natural it is for people to just kind of form circles after our gatherings? You start talking, you form up in circles. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I mean, we were made for relationship. This is how we make relationships. We turn our faces towards each other, right? But the problem is, is that sometimes our circles can become barriers. Because if everyone is facing inwards, then everyone's back is turned outwards. And if everyone is faced inwards and there is no gap in the circle, nobody can get in. And listen, I spent much of my childhood as an outsider. I know what it feels like to be an outsider, and I know how hard it is to break circles. So here's what I've learned to do. One thing I've learned to do is if I'm in a circle and I see it, I start getting a little nervous and anxious. I usually often just step back and I make a gap in the circle because I always want to have this available for somebody. I call it the gift of the open circle. And I don't want us to be a community where we learn to give people the gift of the open circle. It's good to catch up. It's good to do that. But can we learn to back up, to create a gap and invite people in who want to be there or who need to be there? That's the kind of community I want us to be. And making room for people who aren't like you shouldn't just happen here, of course. It should also happen in your neighborhood, around your dinner table, in your workplace, in your home group. Do you know that every day you are surrounded by a kaleidoscope of people who are not like you? And God has given you the opportunity to show welcome to somebody who desperately needs it? Have you met them? Have you welcomed them? What would it look like for you to do that in your day-to-day life? And I will say this: you know, you know, sometimes we believe the lie that certain people are just too hard to save. And we wouldn't want to say it, but we might even say to ourselves, that person is impossible to save. Can I just call baloney on that this morning? I mean, do you know the story of Paul the Apostle? Like, that guy was impossible to save. And yet, our God is mighty to save. And the truth is, I was one of those hard cases when I was 18 years old. If you knew me when I was 18, you would have thought that I was the last person in the world to follow Jesus. Proud, arrogant, brash, living life on my own terms, wanting nothing to do with God at the age of 18. It's funny, I go back to my high school reunions and I tell them what I do now. I tell them that I'm a follower of Jesus and I tell them I'm a pastor and they say, you're full of shaving cream. And they don't say shaving cream. (laughs) They they cannot believe it. But that's only because of the grace of God at operation in my life. So, don't buy the lie. Don't create false barriers in your mind about who deserves to be saved or, or who can be saved. Everyone. Who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, this is why we brought Shem here to be part of our team. This is why we're setting up a to Eden team with Crosspoint. We want to help reach those who are living at the margins in society, people who are often overlooked and people who are often underestimated. And our goal is to break down barriers to help people find their way back to God, to do justice, to love mercy as we walk humbly with our God. And uh, we're going to be rolling up the details about that in the, in the weeks ahead. But of course, it's not about Shem. It's about a team of people working together to accomplish this and be on mission. And it's about a church supporting them as they do this. So in the meantime, as we r- wait to roll out the details, I invite you to talk up Shem. He likes coffee. Um, he'd love to talk to you about that. Right, Shem? Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, here's the third barrier. Third barrier is when we stop proclaiming his salvation. Paul asks the question. How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear without somebody preaching? You know, that word preach, we get hung up on that because we think of preachers, you know, paid professional speakers like myself. No, uh, the word preach just simply means to announce, to make known, to proclaim. This good news was meant to be proclaimed. Now let's just quickly look at verses 14 to 15 together. You'll notice Paul describing something here. He's describing this, this kind of this chain of events of how the gospel actually came to the Gentiles. I like to call it the salvation supply chain. Paul says, listen, you, you can't call on the Lord unless you first believe. And you can't actually believe on the Lord unless you have heard, if you've never heard of him. And you can't hear of him if somebody's not preaching. And somebody's not going to show up and preach if nobody's actually been sent. There's this chain that takes place here. And every part of this salvation chain, Paul says, it matters. So to keep people from receiving salvation, you simply have to disrupt the chain. That's all you got to do. Break the chain. Disrupt the flow of good news. Now the truth is, if you look at that chain, most of it's out of our hands. A lot of it depends on the person who's actually receiving the message. But there is one thing that we can do in the chain, and that's our responsibility. The one part of the chain is that we can proclaim the good news. And you'll notice in there that that our part actually occurs earlier on in the chain rather than later on. So if we don't actually proclaim the good news, then it actually disrupts everything else in the salvation supply chain. If we don't do it, nobody calls on the name of the Lord. Now, I don't know if any of you were here uh, last week, and you were part of that power outage that took place in South Edmonton. Anyone experienced that South Edmonton power outage a week ago? started in the evening, went until like 4 o'clock in the morning. You northerners like, oh, I got power, come on. right? Eh? But it affected like 40,000 homes. Fortunately, it was only like minus 15 degrees out rather than minus 30, but it probably got a little, little frosty in people's homes. But they survived. But still, it disrupted people's lives. You know, when, when it got me thinking. It got me thinking about what was called the Great North American Power Outage that took place back in 2003. This power outage lasted for four days in the middle of summer. And I was living in Toronto at the time. I was actually, Karen and I, we were at uh, a tennis event. We were at the, uh, uh, the 2003 Grand Masters Women's Tennis. And then suddenly, poof, the power went out. And so it was near the end of the, the evening. So we actually had to drive home across Toronto in pitch black. No street lights, no traffic lights, nothing. It was, it was like we were in the wilderness. And every once in a while, we'd come to an intersection, and, and a really nice citizen was out there wearing a white T-shirt, trying to direct traffic, or else he'd have a vest on, and he'd try to direct traffic. Strangely enough, the city survived, and, and, and it did okay, but everything was out of sorts in the days that followed. It turns out that 50 million people in Canada and in the United States were without power for four days. I mean, stores were shut down; they were closed unless they could be cash only. Gas stations ran out of fuel. People were trapped in elevators in high rises. Like it was, it was a little nuts, right? So Karen and I were like, "Well, do we want to stick stick in the city here?" So fortunately, we we had a friend who owned a cottage, and we decided, "Well, let's let's head out of Dodge. Let's get off here. Go to get off the grid." And that's what we did. We took our kids, packed them up, drove to this cottage on a little island off Georgian Bay, and we sat it out and we waited it out with the, the radio going and hoped everything was going to turn out okay. After four days, it did. So what caused the blackout? It was one small disruption at the start of the electricity supply chain. There were a bunch of overgrown trees in Ohio that touched power lines near a power station. And after that, there was basically a chain reaction of human error and bad human planning. One breakdown after another started to snowball until more and more systems started to shut down. Imagine that. 50 million people without power because somebody forgot to prune their trees in Ohio. That's, that's a circuit breaker, right? That's a supply chain disruptor. Now, the blackout, it was probably bound to happen at some point, but it could have been avoided if somebody just pruned their trees friends our responsibility as believers in Christ is way back at the beginning of the salvation supply chain if we do not proclaim the good news to the world then we will disrupt by snowball effect the entire supply chain of God wanting to get his salvation to the world now you might be thinking this morning okay rob i hear you but you know this whole proclaiming the gospel thing isn't really my jam right I mean, isn't that for evangelists or missionaries and paid clergy? And besides, I did the Myers Briggs. I'm an introvert, not an extrovert. And, and I'm like a 28 on Enneagram. And, you know, it's just not me. Well, the truth is if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you are a sent person. Jesus is sending you on mission in the world. Whether you do it well, whether it's natural or not, it doesn't matter. Every member is a minister. Let's look at what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 20, verse 21. Here's what he said. He says, again, Jesus said, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus is saying, just as I was sent by the Father, so now you are a sent people. I am sending you out on mission into the world to do what I could not do by myself. I'm going to multiply myself. You are a sent people. Sent to proclaim the good news. Good news of a risen king and his salvation. And friends, listen, it is good news. As a matter of fact, it is the best news ever. Paul says that it is so good that it actually makes ugly things beautiful. You notice he quotes Isaiah. Here's what he says. he says How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? You know, on that day, I mean, feet were disgusting. They were gross, right? Nobody wore socks. Everyone's barefoot. They're wearing sandals. They're walking on dusty roads. They didn't have baths every day. Like, Toe jam was a, was a going concern in that day. So what was it that made their feet beautiful? It's the message that they were bringing. Paul says the, the, the feet that carry good news are beautiful. He says this message is so good that you will want to kiss the mailman. I, I'm, I'm reminded of the story of the, uh, the Fido Dog Food Company. At one of their sales meetings, the manager, the sales manager gets up, he mounts the podium, and, he, and he's just trying to pump up his sales team, right? Because that's what they do at these sorts of events. They try and get everybody excited about going out. And so he shouts out to the group, you know, who has the best sales force of dog food in the world? And everybody's like, yeah, we are. And then he shouts out again, who's got the best dog food products in the world? And everybody's like, yeah, we are, yeah, we do. And then he pauses in silence. He says, well, then why is it that, well, we are number 16 out of 17 for dog food sales? Crickets. Everyone's starting to look at each other. You know. And finally, you hear a voice from the back of the room. It's like, well, sir, I hate to say it, but the dogs don't like our food. Listen, they had a problem with their product. We don't have a problem with our product. Our product is good. It's beautiful. It's great. Our product is with the sales force. It's a proclamation problem. You know, you may have heard the quote, uh, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. And we've attributed this to Francis of Assisi. Some people, you know, say differently and they say it was Augustine. But here's the problem. uh, Assisi actually never actually said that. It's a made-up quote. He never actually said that. And the even bigger problem is it doesn't make sense. You cannot preach the gospel unless you use words. This is Paul's point in verse 17. He says, faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The message we have is a message that was meant to be proclaimed. Now, it's true. The messenger should actually match the message. We need to let our light shine through our good deeds, right, so that, that people will praise our Father in heaven. We know that. But if we only show the good news and we never tell the good news, then nobody gets saved. That's the truth. And I, and I worry that the church has lost sight of the mission during COVID. Not just our church, but I, I think that the church in the world. We've been kind of like distracted by less important concerns. Sometimes it feels like we're so busy arguing over things that that we're actually not loving people into the kingdom. And I wonder if our new mission has become this. Let's just get through the pandemic. What's the mission of the church? Let's just get through the pandemic, okay? And then we can get on with getting on. Rather than, let's just tell the whole world what Jesus has done. Have we lost sight of the mission? God has no other plan for bringing salvation to his world than you. There is no B plan. You are the A plan. That's it. And so am I. And that's a scary proposition, but it's true. So, a moment of honesty this morning. What is keeping you from sharing the good news? Is it distraction? Is it busyness? Maybe it's spiritual laziness. Maybe you're dealing with shame and you just don't feel worthy. Or maybe you're just afraid. I don't know, but you know. Maybe it's a combination. But God has a solution for all of this. God's solution is he gives us himself. And he invites each and every one of us in faith to call on the name of the Lord. To say, God, would you you fan into flame that faith that I need in my heart? God, would you remove my shame? Would you help me to overcome my fears? And so cross point, I want to just, like a clarion call this morning, shout it out to you rise up. Rise up, people of God. Call on the name of the Lord. Let's do it together. Let's put our faith in Christ. Let's take the limits off who we think God can save, and let's seek his power so that we together can share a beautiful gospel. Let's do this together. Let's rise up. Let's pray. I'm going to give you a moment. God is here. He's present. He's faithful. I'm just going to give you a moment between you and God to answer two questions. What is God saying to you? And what will you do about it? thank you, Lord, for your salvation that is for us, that we could never earn by or barter for, but we can only receive by faith because you did that for us. You purchased it for us. And God, by faith this morning, we step into that. And we call on the name of the Lord. We ask you, Lord, would you set a fire in our hearts? Would you cause the church to rise? Would you help us to rise? Even in dark times like COVID, God, would you help us to keep the main thing the main thing, we have good news. Give us the power, give us the courage, give us the ability to proclaim it well, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Well, uh, at this time, I'm going to dismiss those who are at home. Thank you for joining with us this morning. Uh, Let me remind you of who you are. Uh, You are the people of God. You are called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim it well. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website